0: The New Level Cap Podcast is a show about fun, friends, game design, and all things otherwise. Your hosts are Marco DeSantos and Brad Talton of Level 99 Games. I'm Chris Solis, your producer, and without further ado, please enjoy the show. Why, hello, dear listener. It is I, your host, Sir Sylvanius Third, welcoming you to this wonderful episode of the New Level Cap Podcast. I have killed Marco and replaced him and all that he stands for. I have also killed Brad and replaced him with a new special guest who goes by the name of... Julian Kulik. I see. Mr. Kulik over here is quite cool indeed and I've brought him on to the show to. Oh, wait! No! Stop! (laughs) Ah, ah, ah. Guys. This weird guy just came into my recording studio and started recording the podcast by himself. Who am I on the call with?
1: This is Julian Kulik. I've been doing story and lore writing behind the scenes for the uh, Battlecon Devastation Unleashed Kickstarter.
0: Ooh, I'm very interested to hear about this. Uh, Julian, are there any other names that you might go by that people may know?
1: People largely know me as uh, Arbco on the uh, discords, various local nine discords.
0: I see. So you are the madman who created that 200 plus PDF of just lore bits from Brad and me while recording this podcast.
1: I think it ended at somewhere plus of 400, 500 pages. Um.
0: Never mind. <laughs> oh. oh, my God. This is an article without pictures, right? Yeah. It is literally all text.
1: Right. But, but I do space things out so that, like, characters aren't divided across pages, you know, cleanly. So there is a, there's a fair amount of white space, but all the same, even if you compressed it, it's still probably be 300, 400 pages, so.
0: Julian, you crazy boy. So I feel like well, this is enough, like, understanding for the audience to know that when it comes to lore for Indians, at the very least... You are uh you are a god now, right? Is is this correct?
1: Well, I'm more of I'm more of a more of a demigod. Um, Brad's still the uh, god proper. Um, I'm more of the uh, I oh suppose archangel, whatever. Um,
0: archangel. Uh you're the Gab- You're you're or, his Gabriel. You're his messenger. So to
1: speak. um, so or Hermes to the Zeus or whatever you want to put it as. Um. But actually, I want to say that this is all your fault, Marco.
0: Oh, why is it all
1: my fault? So I'm driving to Gen Con about two years ago, and I was listening to the, the Level Cat podcast, and you guys, I was, I was kind of going back a ways because I had, I kind of been away from it for a while, <laughs> and you were talking about a fanfic contest around that time. Um, and nice. When you did that, you talked about like one of the things you were rating people on was the accuracy of their lore, and I do believe my response while sitting there in the car was, "How the bleep am I supposed to? Is anybody supposed to know <laughs> what the lore is since it was spread out so far at the time?" Um, yeah. And uh, after I came home from uh, Gen Con that year, I was like, "Okay, let's start putting this together. This should be a simple thing to do. Only like forty pages oh, no. or so." <laughs> oh no. <laughs> And I can't leave anything undone when I start it sometimes, so there you go.
0: You have made a crucial mistake, my friend. Yeah. Uh, that 40 pages became 400.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I really um. underestimated how much there was spread out there uh, amongst all the various sources. So,
0: Yeah, I mean, just from word of mouth between me and Brad, I'm pretty sure is a lot already. You had to listen to a lot of the Level Cap podcast just to even get some of those lore tidbits, especially oh, yeah. because a lot of the segments were answering lore questions.
1: And I admit I didn't get so, all all those down, but uh, there's a lot of time spent listening to you on a uh, half speed, so you and Brad sound properly drunk, even though you're not. So.
0: Oh my gosh, this is a family-friendly show, no alcohol <laughs> on this podcast. No, but for serious, I'm so glad you're here, Julian. How does it feel to be on the show that you've finally, like, to finally be on this show after listening to... I assume almost every single freaking episode twice just to get the lore tidbits down. Um,
1: This whole situation is slightly surreal to me, uh, as a, as you might expect. As you know, I worked on the whole lore cyclopedia, as I called it, and, but I didn't really expect—I necessarily expect anything to come with it. I was like, "Oh, that would be nice," but.
0: Yeah, and look, look look at where that got you. You're now lore extraordinaire, extraordinaire. Yeah,
1: it's uh for, for level ninety nine games. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I've been doing uh basically, like I said, a lot of freelancing. Basically, taking a lot of the existing stories and bringing them together into something that's uh, uh contiguous and all works together. So we we brought you on
0: to get your special set of skills. So tell us what's the what's the importance of why, why do we care. Why do you care so much about the lore for these people in this board game fighting game? Isn't it just enough to have cool people punch each other constantly?
1: Well, it is It is real, real cool. But it also provides, like, uh, I would say the first thing that you'll see in story and games and why you'll see story in so many games is that it provides context. Um, like, if you're playing Hikaru and you're pulling out his tokens, uh, they could be something and just say, like, plus plus three power, plus two priority, uh, plus one range, and have that be that, and just leave you to work out what that means. Uh, but because they have, like, you know, the power is fire, that the extra range is water, uh, the earth is soak, that provides a context It makes it easier to remember what they do and easier to visualize what's going on in the imagination.
0: Um, I guess that's true. Also, oh, also to be fair, games are boring without context, right? It, it it makes hardly any sense. Like, there's a reason why a lot of people don't necessarily like chess because yeah. the con- the context behind it is so loose, right? Like, how is this a knight? How is this a king? how How can the queen teleport across the board? Why does the castle move? Right? Like, it's not an absolute
1: necessity. Sudoku is a thing. Even like chess has like some level. You have the king, you have the knights, and you have the pawns. They represent something, even if it's very loose, and generally most chess players necessarily aren't thinking in terms of armies clashing, you know? They have these kind of shorthand names to give you clues as to how they work.
0: But in reality, you're you're absolutely correct, right? Like, Battlecon would be boring if instead of Hikaru we had... Yeah, like, he was just... uh, he's, He's called fast man and he punched Thing. Like, it's not as interesting as you know, half-human, half-light elemental geomancer with magical, mystical martial arts
1: powers. Like, like,
0: right. right. I mean, imagine
1: if you took Smash and just reduced it to stick figures, doing all the same things you do in Smash, but there's no context, and it probably wouldn't be nearly as successful because people... Of course, that's also drawing upon earlier games and the earlier attachments to stories, so it's a simplification, but...
0: Oh my gosh, it's so true. It's so true. When, when the context just doesn't fit what you're doing... Uh, we we had that problem with neuromil neuromil neuromile k. okay neuromil k yeah because um, supposedly like he it looks like a a walking tanker with a goop slime inside right so you think you think ah slow slow and steady wins the race right like that's that's what it comes off cuz it's literally a walking tank yeah exactly. and then suddenly Suddenly, the gameplay is most mobile character in the game. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Okay. Yeah. So it's it's really interesting and really weird that way. But regardless, context aside, are there any other important parts?
1: There's also the, the idea, and not too many level nine games are doing this yet. Seven Cross looks to be doing it in a big way. Story as reward, as in you're like doling out a story that you discover in the means of play. You see that. Thus, all the time in video games, of course. Mm. And you'll see it a lot in games that are, or games that are basically... Le- legacy? Yeah, legacy games. That's what I'm trying to think of. Um, yeah, legacy games. Particularly with stuff that you like open up and that reveals new things. You usually see that a lot in what are what we called program games or choose-your-own-adventure-type games.
0: Yeah, that's, that's totally true. I, but, I definitely feel like level 99 games don't necessarily do this a lot, but um, there are some. So uh, there's the there's the ever amazing power play. Have you yeah. played power play? I have not. I admit. That's fair. Because uh, at the end of the day, the goal of power play is never to win, but to create a fun story between you and your friends. And yeah. overall, like we we talked about video games, but really the big example here is role playing games because yeah. literally the story is just the entire reason you play it. Yeah. You don't play D and D or like. Uh, powered by the Apocalypse System games and go like, hmm, yes, the reason I play this is so that I can become a level 6 paladin and get my new level 5 spell or whatever, right? Like,
1: <laughs> that's not why you do it. Also, people really dig, dig that part. But yeah, when I was, uh, I was uh, doing a role-playing game contest recently and they uh, brought out Power Play as an example of uh, how to do a smooth story game. So that was kind of like my first time sitting down and reading it, yeah.
0: But overall that like that's the point of these storytelling games right like you want to just find out the story and that's why you keep playing and or rather you want to create the story yeah and that's why you keep playing
1: and there's there's also one thing i want to mention is the idea of story or lore being stretched between like multiple products it's something you saw a lot in ccgs the one that will pretty much always be perennial for me for this is legend of the five rings Um, since I was into that early on and they were pretty much, as far as I'm aware, one of the first companies to really start putting a story into their CCG. Every set would advance kind of the global story of the setting. Um, and that different characters would die or change or become snake men. Um, whatever snake men. Nice. (laughs) It got weird. Even for a game that was nominally about samurai, but, uh, they One of the big things they did was, uh, and we'll get more probably a little later on, it was uh, incorporating what fans, uh, they gave fans ways to put input into the game to decide who won a certain battle or who got a certain reward. Um, and so, I mean, before that, you had seen some games like Magic's Artifact, their uh, antiquity set, uh, had story in it, in theory, had lore elements, but it didn't really lead anywhere. It just kind of was a little bit of flavor to make the cards a little more interesting, but it didn't really hold together in any coherent way. Role-playing games around the same time started doing was the idea of meta plot, in which they would introduce plot elements or lore elements in the initial book, and then in later supplements... Uh, you would find out, for example, like more about what the Knights Templar are up to, even though they are only kind of mentioned in the first book and find out that they're really important to the setting. And then you'll find out about the demons are fighting in, the, you know, in that book. And that leads to the next book, which uh, the demons get out and now they have to fight and whatever. And yeah. there was a lot of that, and it kind of it was it was interesting more from a for that, it was almost more a marketing perspective than a play perspective. Uh, at yeah. least in my experience, a lot of people would just kind of like, go, yeah, it's there, but a lot of people wouldn't focus on it. It was just kind of like something for almost like, you know, reading as opposed to playing.
0: <laughs> so would you say that this is a, a huge effect of the fact that stories invest people? You know, story is important to the games because it means that people want to keep playing. Like, as much as we deride it on magic, in magic, uh, people are always interested to see what the planeswalkers are up to, you know? Yeah. Like like did Jace die finally? Or like is Liliana still a huge jerk? Or uh, what happened to Nicole Bolas? Is is he killing people again? Like people are interested from set to set to find out like what's happening with these planeswalkers and what they're doing in the lore. And that incentivizes people to play the game more or buy the new sets. So Do you feel like this is an important factor of having a
1: story in your game? Oh yeah! I mean, nowadays Magic has like a big C- these big CG trailers, and when I started playing with these little pieces of cardboard, I had to think that they would like go this far as to sit down and create these little movies about this card, you know, this little game that was about summoning, you know, bears um, to beat up another <laughs> wizard. <laughs> Three mana two Three mana two <laughs> But uh one thing uh you start getting into is the whole idea of having fans who are invested in it. Whether it's like me putting together lore for a book or putting together various wikias, I mean just look at some like the like you know, mobile game wikias and the amount of like text that's involved in them. But uh investment I think also really comes down to finding ways to introduce things uh, brought in by players, and Magic's certainly done that. Um, taking little yeah. memes and little ideas
0: that they've had and inserting them into cards. In Indiens is a world that also kind of does this, right? Oh, like, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. A lot of characters are literally just fan-made characters we decided to adopt, right?
1: Right, yeah. A lot um, of them came out of the, the, the Kickstarter tiers, I believe, and Devastation. That was like right before I got involved uh, myself that uh, I, you know, I go through Blad's uh, lore docs. and I get to see all the names associated with it, uh, uh, different characters, and it's a lot more than I knew. A lot of his original characters came out of his roleplay sessions, um, and from characters his friends played.
0: Yeah, like Voko.
1: Now, it explains
0: so much that Voko was just a player character (laughs) in a, in a tabletop RPG setting. I'm like, like, rock and roll necromancer with Kamina shades? I'm trying to remember
1: if he was an NPC or PC, but yeah.
0: He is a PC. He's a PC. So... Yeah, it's pretty cool and all that stuff. So, but before we delve too deep into Battlecon lore and answer some of your Battlecon lore-related questions, let's take a short break. So, Julian, what do you say before you're about to take a break? Um,
1: I mean, me personally, or you? Am I trying to remember what's on the podcast?
0: No, 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 no. <laughs> just you personally. Just um, you personally. Be back in just a bit. All right, be back in just a bit.
1: FanimeCon in the San Francisco Bay
0: Area is coming soon. Come play various tabletop games in the tabletop section, sponsored by Exceed. Play any game and receive a free Ryu vs. Ken demo deck while supplies last. Play an official Exceed organized playside events with other players and test drive any fighter in the game at our demo tables. Bring your A-game and see if you can beat our staff in a game of Exceed. We're looking forward to playing with you there. Why, hello and welcome back. Ah, this is still Marco. I'm just using this nefarious voice. Julian, do your most nefarious
1: voice. Oh, we're going to do some terrible things. Oh,
0: how terrible?
1: Very terrible.
0: Uh, Okay, as a- a as a writer, I was expecting you to give me something more than just saying very terrible, you know? Uh, I'm on the like, spot, man. Uh, you could have said heinous or deplorable, but but okay, I'll settle for very terrible. <laughs> Welcome back from the break, everyone. While I'm roasting Julian here, I hope that all of you are prepared to fly by the seat of your pants. Yep, I am ready. What's your experience been uh, trying to collate everything for... Like essentially Battlecon devastation remaster, where everything's trying to get fixed, right? So
1: I mean, you you're gonna have to do some weeding. There's a lot going on going on, and to be frank, perhaps not all of it was necessarily meant to be put together all at one happening in one period of time. And to for those who aren't aware, there are about as far as Battlecon goes, there are about eight different stories. There are three stories that are associated with war. Most of them are fairly short stories. You've got three stories that are associated with devastation. Those are pretty long, and that's been kind of like the bulk of my work so far. There's one associated with Fate of Endons and Trials of Endons, which is the old Relic Hunters story arc. And then there's another mm. one happening with Wanderers, uh, which we've worked out. And a lot of that kind of existed mainly in kind of outline form. Uh, like what you see, like if you look through the rule books, you can definitely see kind of the outlines of a lot of these stories. Uh, like if you go through like war it has that separated out into three parts, which is um you have like the Erlenmeyer flask, which is like Carolyn and Lyxis fleeing Willot. Um you have the whole uh plot line with uh I think it's the new crusade, which is Magdalene and her friends uh going to stop Rexon from being resurrected. Um, and, which they fail at? Uh yeah. Well, I wouldn't say they, well, they technically fail, but I think they learned also that there's probably, you know, it's more, it's that their perhaps their crusade wasn't so just justified. or important in the first place. Yeah. I mean, depending on your point of view, it's justified or not justified. It's kind of one of those interesting things where Rexanne's yeah beneficial... But like, he's not necessarily a good guy, and it's kind of like that. Like you know, wh- is it is it worth having him in power to make sure Gesselheim isn't a, a total uh, tar hole? So you know,
0: yeah, um, he's not a he's not a good guy, but he's also not just out there to cause havoc for no reason. No, you know? he has
1: he has generally good intentions, uh, and is going to be just utterly ruthless in those service of those intentions. And the, the other story that's associated with it, uh, which is one I've been primarily working on first, because it leads into a number of devastation stories, is uh, The Dark Behind Her Eyes, which is uh, where Cherry gets resurrected and the Stalkers have to find her before um, Orion and Zamasol can use her for their own purposes.
0: Which, again, they fail at. Why does everybody keep failing, man?
1: Uh, because it. Uh, creates more interesting uh, story beats to follow up later on.
0: Yeah. To be fair, though, in Devastation, they, they kind of make up for their mistakes, right? Like, they stop a Jenna from resurrecting Greyheart, right. at the very least. Yeah.
1: You have the whole Dragon King storyline. Uh, you have Well of Souls, which has a lot more to do with the uh, demons um, and stopping them. Mm-hmm. And you have... Um, it's the story where the, the Planeswalkers are trying to stop Oriana. Oh. Oriana's getting ready to invade, and they have to pull out all the stops to uh, keep her from wrecking everybody. So, yeah.
0: Man, devastation's really rough because it seems like there's just literally three world class ending, like, world ending events happening simultaneously. All three sets of heroes have to like come together, Avengers style, or else everything's gonna explode.
1: It's kind of a pileup of different disasters, all kind of coming together at
0: once. So, um, before we move on to questions, I'll just ask you two tidbits of things. What has been the m- most fun thing you've had to do for this project?
1: I would say the most the most fun thing is kind of like discovering characters. Uh, when I sit down and write for a character, sometimes I'll be going on a character that I have no kind, I've have, I've have no previous investment in. Um, when I'm working okay. with a number of different characters, I won't, I won't name, I won't name much in the way of names. But like, for example, when I was doing fanfic, and I wrote a fanfic for, uh, Cesar and Enderbit. And those are not two characters who I would have thought of as characters I like. Uh, they're not characters I attach to on, uh, any initial level. But when I was thinking of doing, a, yeah. thinking of writing, I was like thinking of like characters and thinking of how they'd interact. And I realized that Caesar and Enderbit would have this kind of buddy cop thing going and that made <laughs> them would. and realizing how they'd interact between themselves with this kind of, kind of jokey robot and this like you know uh human who's very serious and who's much more robot like than enderbit is that that would be a, that was an interesting dynamic and that was a fun dynamic to play with so
0: for sure uh, i mean like i mean like those are probably my two favorite sang hallies sang Halian, sang Halis, or sang Halian. uh sang hallies Sanghali is, those are my two favorite Sanghali's characters, because, exactly because Orin is literally, sorry, Caesar is literally just Orin from Final Fantasy, and um, and Enderbit essentially acts like Spider-Man from, from the Spider-Man comics, right? Like, all he does is constantly quip and joke and, like, say one-liners, and, um, yeah.
1: I wouldn't go that far, but he's definitely a lot, uh, fairly lighthearted. hearted he's certainly more light-hearted than, like, anybody else in the Reliquary. Almost everybody in this yeah. re- Reliquary is a, is stone-faced, and he is a, a very good character to have there because he can be the one character who uh, says the fun thing.
0: Yeah, he breaks he breaks tension because everybody else is a serious boy. Yeah. <laughs> like a way too serious boy. All right, Julian, what's the most challenging thing you've had to do for this project?
1: Really, I think, say, the the challenging thing is just... Taking a lot of the parts that were out there and trying to make them fit together, and trying personally not to run too rough, roughshod over previously existing lore. Um, I, there will definitely be changes coming out of this, but for the most part, I didn't. I, I wanted to look back at like somebody's profile that I that I did earlier in kind Kaigo. Of yeah, that's still pretty much true. But another thing is just generally sitting down and like. With characters in Devastation, there's... I'm trying to remember exactly how many years. like, 32, 34? Um, there's 30,
0: and then 32 in the new edition, if we add K. Gar and K,
1: Yeah. And I think I've used... I think I used one of the promos uh, in there, too. And trying to... Trying to give them all a cool moment. And trying to... And I know, and, and Brad, Brad would probably say to me this, like, don't worry about getting every character in there, but, I, you know, I'm a fan, and I'd like to get, have you know, as a fan, I'd like to have other fans, like, look at, see their character in the story, and even if it's not a major part go, they got to do something cool. Uh, they got a moment to shine. Yeah, for sure. And because there will be that one person that uh, that loves that one particular particular character, I want to make sure that they can. If we ever sit down and do this all as a narrative where you can see all the moving parts, which probably won't happen in a rule book uh, storyline, but like when you look at the Grand Chronicle, you can go, "Oh, my character did this," you know, and that was cool. Yeah, and that's that's been that's the really hardest cool. thing, but it's also something I really want to do. So, oh well, good luck, Julian, yeah. because. I
0: firmly believe that you have a large task ahead of you, and I know that you'll be able to do it. However, I do still think you need luck, because there's over 100 characters you have to integrate into stories, and (laughs) I think that will be insane. Let's move on to fan questions. So since this is Lore Minute, and you're Lore Demigod, (laughs) I I asked our fans to give us some questions about lore, and now you have to answer them. You have no choice. You can't be like Brad and go like, I pass. Right, because because Brad does that sometimes yeah. when we do these lore segments,
1: well, but you don't get that privilege. I, I, I will give answers. I will not, you know, promise they'll be satisfactory, but I will give you answers. So,
0: all right. So, somebody asked, "What's the lore behind the dummy and the base art?" Uh, I don't think they mean. I'm the, I don't think they mean the dummy dummy that's in Battlecon Online. I think they mean the red and blue stop sign guys.
1: The oh, I think they mean the uh, the the little kind of like blank faced um, silhouette. 're uh, the char- that are beating each other up um, yeah, the, the blue and red guys yeah, and those are I mean uh, there's no particular lore. they're, they're stand-ins for uh, whatever characters are playing. so the reason they're blank faces is so you can you know, superimpose everything over in your imagination. The, there is lore associated technically with them uh, through GAR who has her own set of bases that right. are supposed to basically be like the ancestral ancestral form of other martial arts and in indians. She's supposed to practice this ancient one that many other martial arts branched out of. There's this kind of precursor. And so that the bases kind of represent like the core of all Indians, martial arts. And, uh,
0: that's cool, right? So those guys could literally just be like diagrams, like an avatar, like the scrolls that show the forms in a martial art.
1: Ancient, ancient Chinese martial arts diagrams, or like you know the old European medieval diagrams of how you're supposed to hold your sword, what stance you're supposed to take, all that.
0: Okay, what is Seth's most impressive in-universe accomplishment?
1: Right now, it's uh, it would probably be the uh, starting their uh, train company. I mean, we certainly may get into more of what Seth has done. Unfortunately, it's not unfortunately, something i not gotten to uh, explore so far yet, but he is a government official, so no doubt he has uh, done plenty of important things.
0: Does Cherry actually wear jeans? And if so, where does she
1: get them? You're talking about what's kind of an uh, anachronistic setting. Uh, I mean, you have folks in Willot who have you know, various guns and, you know, people running around occasionally with energy weapons of various sorts, like, uh, of course, Clint hit his shock sticks. So, you know, finding genes somewhere does not seem like an impossibility. Um, so you could say they were imported from Woolham.
0: Somebody also asked, who is the biggest character in Indians? Physically. Like, not big as in, like, Mr. Worldwide, but more of, like, Mr. Worldwide, if you know what I mean.
1: The one that comes to mind, uh, of course, are, like, some of the big boss characters, like, uh, Havoc or Greyheart, Oriana is outside of the, of course, the uh, the main universe. Universe, but she's probably who I think of as biggest in her true form, uh, like you see in the battle quest, um, where you're just fighting her hands and her head.
0: All right, that sounds that sounds like an appropriate answer. Here's one okay. that I find to be very interesting. I think we both should answer this. Okay. Okay. Tell me the first character that pops into your mind when you hear the following. Is stabbing someone immoral, and their response is, not if they consent to it?
1: See, stabbing got me into my particular character, but adding consent changes things.
0: In my opinion, it's probably somebody like an unfeeling character, like a character without emotions. So probably somebody like Caesar. I probably think Caesar would do it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Caesar is just not real hung up on the temporal nature of uh, people suffering. He's not a bad. He's not a bad guy per se,
0: but yeah, like one life is just but the drop in a bucket. You know, he's he's that kind of character, right?
1: I think it depends on the situation, how much trouble he thinks it is. But uh, if they think it's important to uh, important to do, then he would absolutely do it.
0: So here's here's the next one: is stabbing someone immoral? And then the response is
1: yes. I think uh Mergerum probably comes to mind as just kind of uh, somebody who. Well, she, she's, she'll she stab people uh, if she thinks they deserve it. I'm trying to think of, uh...
0: Here's my answer, it's Clive.
1: Yeah, um, Clive comes to mind, Tatsumi came to mind.
0: Oh, Tatsumi comes to yeah. mind, too. Kavri, how about Kavri?
1: Oh, absolutely, Kavri um, would not stab people. At least yeah, I presume... Sure, she's literally here. I don't, I don't think we have the deep lore of Kavri worked out, so maybe there is, maybe she has a, a dark secret that Brad has not let me know, but... Yeah. So, here's
0: the last one. Is stabbing someone immoral? And then the answer is, depends on who you're stabbing.
1: I would say that kind of almost defines the majority of the uh, cast. But uh comes to mind is uh, Schechter.
0: Schechter. Oh, yeah. I like that. I like that. I mean,
1: she has a very strong sense of, uh, I suppose, uh, justice in her own way. That is uh, extra legal uh, in, most, in most situations.
0: So. In my opinion, it's... It's Elagor because Elagor is literally a Templar, so it's it's his sense of justice is really just defined by who his king tells him he should stab or not.
1: <laughs> well, he's also he's also a very faithful person, so it has to do a lot with how, what his precepts are and what he thinks
0: uh, and his religion.
1: Yeah, his religion and his duty to occasionally stab people because they're bad to other people.
0: Okay, so uh, somebody asks, who is the canonically weakest character?
1: I'm trying to,
0: I mean, I already have an answer for this.
1: I'm trying to think of the name of the bartender because
0: Boris Rumaldi. Boris,
1: yes, because he pretty much exists inside of the card. So he has to get punched in the face, and I can't think. Uh, there are probably other characters who are similarly weak, but as somebody whose uh, sole role in a game is to get punched in the face, it's uh, not a good, not a good uh, look.
0: I'm s- I'm sorry, um, Julian. Mm-hmm. If that's your reasoning for picking Boris, then. You should have picked Disposable Dave. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he's pretty much on the same, uh, same position, except he, you know.
0: It's even worse. He
1: gets hurt worse. And it's a, it can be left up to the uh, listener whether or not it's better to be, uh, hurt and survive all the time or get killed, well, basically get mortal wounds that you survive all the time or nearly die. So
0: he's kind of like, I feel so bad for Disposable Dave.
1: It's an interesting gimmick. And when I was doing a fanfic for the contest, he was definitely on my short list was to do one of uh, Disposable Dave.
0: I mean his name is literally Disposable Dave. Yeah. Like how, how how bad could you get? At least Boris is a bartender. He's literally just a disposable guy. Yeah. It's so sad. Well, it's,
1: it's, I was thinking well, I wanted to kinda of like explore the like a relationship with, with him and Gerard and why he keeps basically going into a job that is uh probably going to get him nearly killed. So
0: Okay, um here's a, here's the next question. Just how long was Berman hanging out waiting for someone to show up at the Cypheria of Blackwind? Or was he just commuting to the ancient artifact's resting place for his day job? And if he was commuting, was he flying there in dragon form?
1: Well, I suppose it depends on uh, how long, if, if he was waiting at all, but I'd have to uh, look back at uh, uh lore. Um, he certainly has reason to occasionally take trips to uh, Abilau, but or the one of the few places that probably would not kill him for being a dragon, but is admittedly something I'd probably have to. Uh, Research a little more and see what the uh, original text says.
0: The ancient text. You know, really, oh, yeah. the really question is, why is everybody in the right place at the right time to, for story beats to happen? It's as if stories happen because characters are just in specific places at specific times.
1: Yeah, sometimes you just have to go, this is genre fiction, and sometimes improbable things will happen, and that's okay.
0: Game of Thrones... Season 8. Uh, okay. Uh, sorry, I misread that question. Is it, The real question was, did he run into turbulence on his dragon's descent? It was a pun. I hate you, Daniel.
1: Thank you so much. With uh, Berman, I imagine the turbulence would be whoever he's landing on,
0: but... Just how powerful is the infirmary at Argent? Because I hit the kid with an inferno, and he didn't even miss lunch.
1: I would imagine it's probably one of the uh, best magical infirmaries in, in the world, in the setting. Um... I can't imagine outside maybe Senglum uh, that there are uh, many other places that would have a infirmary that good because they are on the cutting edge of Divinity Magic.
0: I see. So if, if you had to get shot at any place, it would be at Argent.
1: Yeah, yeah. It would probably be a, a pretty For decent sure. place. Uh, presuming that uh, they have a, a decent reason to heal you. They probably do. So.
0: Yeah, I forgot, right? Argent is a state and they only do things that benefit them. But hey, it's fine. Yeah. Um,
1: I think as long as you aren't uh, like some type of like terrible monster, it's probably
0: fine. I mean, they do harbor dragons.
1: Yeah, well, I think one of the things that's interesting in uh, Indians as a world is that there aren't really much in the way of like evil races, per se. Um, that people tend to be individuals. And there may be some races that are more dangerous or more potentially troublesome. Um, but that in general speaking, people are people uh wherever they
0: come from. I mean, yeah, for sure. Look, literally we have a race of shadow people who literally exist to stab you in the back and some of them are good. And then we have a literal race of angel people who resurrect and like and cast you healing magic and some of them are basically evil. Yeah. So Well, I would, so I would also like,
1: clarify with with the rats with with the people from the plane of shadow. Uh they exist to scare the uh scare the Jesus out of you.
0: Oh, they're they're jump scare monsters. Yeah, I mean
1: they they I mean they might do that through stabbing people if they think that will scare people worse, but they don't have to, and most of them won't necessarily. But they're kind of like boogeymen in that sense, where they kind of feed off of people's uh, negative emotions and fear.
0: Wait a minute, are you telling me that the plane of shadows is literally Monsters Inc.? Um, not literally, but figuratively, perhaps. What is Wardlaw's power level? Is is the belt that he wears just a confidence-boosting placebo, or is it actually a powerful artifact? I can answer this. It's actually a powerful artifact. The belt of beatdown allows Wardlaw to entice a frenzy in his vicinity, essentially making it so that he can challenge anyone to a fight, and that person is compelled to fight him. And then, when he beats that person, he absorbs their power. Yeah. So Wardlaw can actually become the strongest in the world, so long as he keeps beating people of increasing strength.
1: Yeah. And certainly he's not the only character who has uh, something like that going on. But, yeah, no, it's, uh, in theory, the be- uh, we have not explored the Belt of de- Beatdown too much. But, uh, yeah, in theory, it lets him know it's war with the powers wherever he fights, according to Legend. So.
0: But also, the Belt of Beatdown is literally just a joke on Street Fighter lore, but fine. You know. <laughs> if you're lo- still looking for questions, here's my last question. How many pieces of the Machine God has Enderbyte found, and what will happen when he collects them all?
1: well that's uh probably so I would say that that's definitely something that gets answered in devastation uh perhaps not exact numbers but uh, him dealing with uh, collecting that and that his uh, storyline is you know important to his storyline I don't know if we'll ever document uh, all the specific pieces because uh, there's only so much uh, time to put this together but let's just uh, uh, say that he does have a at least a uh, chance of achieving his goal
0: you know, Julian gave you the correct answer, but here's the real answer. There were seven parts. He collected all seven. He brought the Machine God back to life, and uh, he got a wish. That's it. He got a wish.
1: Uh, yes. The, uh, he was able to wish. The Machine God balls.
0: The Machine God balls. Um, machine balls. Um, exactly. Um, this is actually... Uh, Indians is just actually Dragon Ball with, like, a lightly reskin. This might come as a shocker to you, Julian, as somebody who's been doing the lore a lot. But, like, uh, Hikaru is just Goku. So, uh, if you really think about it that way...
1: Actually, the the, the, cannot, the correct think. answer is 514, and he has like, you know 626. Oh my god. They're stories we can, do, we can do arbitrary numbers. So...
0: Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> you know what? I'm done with this episode of the New Level Cap <laughs> <laughs> Podcast. I want to thank you all so much for listening. I want to also thank my special, special guest...
1: Julian Kulik, also known as Arbco. Uh, and I'm the, uh kind of lore coordinator at level 99 games.
0: All right, that's great. Thank you so much for sending us all of your questions. As usual, that's been me, your host, Mark DeSantis, also known as Mechanic Rick, and with me has been Julian, and I really hope that you all enjoyed listening to this episode. If you like it, share it with a friend, and if you hate it, share it with an enemy. Without much else to say, thank you so much for listening, and thank you, World of Indians. Thank you, and good night. Good night. The New Level Cat Podcast is produced by Level 99 Games. Join us next Wednesday for more design talk and shenanigans. Thank you for listening.